Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Joe McCall again, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. This is episode number 12. 12, how are you doing on the video there, of Deals Gone Bad series. And this has been very informative, educational. Everybody has a different story. And uh, Esther is our guest today on this podcast. What could go wrong when you've got a probate deal with seven siblings, right? Like what could possibly what could possibly go wrong in a big deal like that? But Esther's also going to talk a little bit about their first right after they started rehabbing or after they started flipping and wholesaling, they started they did a rehab deal and lost a bunch of money on that. So we're going to be talking a little bit about two different deals that have gone bad with Esther. Now, if you remember, you I have all the notes for these podcasts and the lessons learned and a lot of the links that we've been sharing and some bonuses and stuff like that. You can get the notes from this podcast at joemccall.com slash bad or text the word bad to 313131 and we'll get you the mind map. Right now, all of the notes are in the mind map and uh, I almost deleted the mind map the last podcast, but I didn't. I recovered it and I just made a backup of it. So it's all good. But all of the notes and the stuff that we have been talking about are, are, are going to be put together for you. And I'm thinking about maybe turning it into a PDF or a resource or a book or something like that to give to you guys. But if you want your hands on this, highly, highly recommend it because these lessons that we're learning through this series of Deals Gone Bad are very important for everybody to really pay a lot of attention to, okay? So you can get it by texting the word BAD to 313131 or go to jomacall.com BAD. All right. One more thing here. We are broadcasting this live as we speak on YouTube and Facebook. So if you're on YouTube and Facebook, say hello. Tell us where you're from. If you got a question for us, type it in there and we'll be glad to um, answer your question. And if you're watching this later, please share it and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Some of you guys didn't even know I have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to the show. We release two to three episodes every single week and a lot of new content that is not even released as a podcast. Cool. I think we're ready to go. Esther has been on the show before. Hi, Esther. How are you? Hey, Joe. Good. I'm doing good. How about you? Awesome. Uh, we interviewed Esther back five, six months ago, episode 876, and you did six deals that month. And we yeah. interviewed you and just talked about what you've been doing. And you know, this was uh, this is a month you grossed about thirty two thousand dollars in uh, wholesale fees in the middle of the shutdown, which was yeah. awesome. Uh-huh. Um, how's business going for you, Esther? Still booming. I mean. <laughs> Still booming. Uh, very good. Deals on the whiteboard in the back behind you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Everything is is. I'm chilling here. <laughs> I'm chilling. Right. Mm-hmm. So Esther, you've done. How long have you been doing deals now? I've been doing deals for like close to four years now. Okay. And so, one of the deals, the very first deal was awesome. It was like everybody's like, you know, oh, we made money. It was great. It was working. We were like, okay. Let's go ahead and, you know, we're starting looking for other deals. And, and so we, we ended up finding out we didn't have any other leads. So we were running out of leads. So we were going ahead and it, we did that mistake like you were talking about, continuing to uh, look for de- leads and deals while you're doing whatever you're doing. So we stopped that. So we were scrambling and we started making offers on MLS and we finally found one and we got accepted. It was a HUD house. And I'm in the mentality, well, we had the wholesale deal, let's wholesale it again. But I had a partner that said, hey, let's, you know, let's let's have the experience of flipping it. And I'm like, "Eh." I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So anyways, he was like, he convinced me. I was like, okay, let's go ahead and flip it. 
we got hard money loan and we we didn't realize all the fees that you know hard money lenders have you know the points and everything so we were like okay so this is really tight as far as uh, money goes so our friend our partner at that time he was saying you know Esther he's got a transmission shop so he was like you know I've got a client that comes in every time and he's into construction let's just get him to do the uh, you know contract him to do all the stuff that we need on the house and we really don't need that much I'm like okay let's do that so mistake number one was <laughs> didn't have a contract with that friend. So we were like, oh, it's a friend. He'll do it. No problems. And he started working on it. And it was my husband, myself, and my friend and his wife all telling this guy, hey, do this, fix that. And there was nothing planned. So basically the money that we had you know, put into it for just the repairs just went out the door like that. Everybody's so, telling him different things to do and yeah. he was doing it right, but he's secretly adding all of this stuff up. There's no scope of work. No scope of work. There was no plan. I mean, we just knew, okay, the bathroom needs to be fixed. Fix it. There was nothing like planned. Okay, you need to make sure you take the wall out, move the plumbing from this part to this part and, you know, make it where, and, it, and the, the bathroom was all funky looking anyways, you know, the way it was, uh, you know, uh, actually the way they did it. But anyways, and so he had, it was too many, what is that saying? It was too many chief and chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. Something like that where, and so it was something like that. So he had too many people telling him what to do. So he was getting all confused and he didn't know who, who he should be listening to. So that was uh, another mistake that we learned that I learned because everything was on me too, because I was the one looking for deals. I was looking for, you know, dealing with the contractors and I kept on going to the contractors, uh, you know, the house every day, just to make sure that the guys were actually doing the work. And the other thing that I found out on that particular deal, at the end of the day, everybody had magically a beer in their hand. So they were drinking beer at the end of the day, every, you know, at the end of the day. So I was like, you know, I, I shut my mouth. I didn't say anything, but I, now I know the legal ramifications on that stuff. So what, what are the legal ramifications of drinking Well, beer? they can be going home drunk <laughs> or they can be, if they handled another tool on my property, I could have gotten sued or I have to, you know, there's medical bills and, and I have to handle that. So, you know, I learned that was another thing that I had to learn. So would you say, I just want to ask you more about that. Um, would you say don't let contractors drink on your job, on your That's property? Right. It's a big no-no. <laughs> oh, I never thought about that before. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, we were like, they're all Mexicans and, and there's nothing wrong with Mexicans. It was just, you know, they weren't with papers or anything like that. They were just doing the work to do the work and get paid. And at the end of the day, oh, let's, you know, get the cerveza, the beer out and let's drink something. So, and we let that go because it was a friend that was doing all the, the fixing and everything. So we, you know, like I said, the stuff that I learned from that particular deal was a contract B you got to have the, um, the contingencies there, you know, have everything planned to every detailed, uh, and then the other thing was that the contractor, because he got so frustrated with us, he left. The so-called friend left, so I ended up having to hire another contractor. But I did write with that one because I did have a contract with that one, and I did put in, okay, if you don't finish by this date, there's going to be a fine, or you know. So he understood, and then I told him, the, "You're not going to get paid until the very last day, until we did a walkthrough of the house and any little detail 
we had to make sure, you know, that was done. So we did learn on that particular one, but the realtor didn't do such a good job at uh, putting it on the MLS and marketing it. And finally, I got the buyer for that property and she got the credit for everything when I brought the buyer to the property. So, so you were uh, selling it with the realtor? Yeah, I was selling it with the realtor, doing it like everybody else does. And I should have negotiated that with the realtor. So, you know, if I brought the buyer, it should be not 6% to you. So... Yeah, I'm writing this down. Mm-hmm. So I learned quite a bit in that. And we lost like maybe 10,000, I would say about ten to 13,000 in that property out of our own pockets. Not including the lost deals, the opportunity cost, right? Yeah. During that time, all that time you spent on that deal, you could have been spending finding other deals and wholesaling deals sticking in your lane, uh-huh. right? Do you think you could have wholesaled that deal and made money on it? Yes. How much do you think you would have made if you wholesaled it? I would have made maybe 15000 on that property. Okay. And how long would it have taken you to wholesale it? I would say three weeks. And how long did it take you to do this whole rehab and finally sell it? Four months. I know. How frustrating is that? Very frustrating. Very frustrating. Because you know, you could have done... you, You realize all the stuff that you could have done and that time wasted... And the fact that I kept on going back and forth, you know, because I'm thinking if you, you're you not there, they're not doing the work. So I had to go back and forth to the house just to make sure that they were working. Since then, how many years ago was that? That was three years ago. Okay. Since then, have you done any other rehabs and fixed and flipped properties? No. You know, okay, <laughs> good. Now, some people, that is in their wheelhouse. They do make really good money wholesaling, mean, not wholesaling, fixing and flipping properties. But like in your experience... Maybe you don't have enough experience to talk about this. That's fine. But like, what advice would you give to somebody on when to wholesale it and when to rehab it? Well, I mean, in that case, for me, and my advice would be if the numbers were so tight, wholesale it. Don't deal with it. Just wholesale it. And then if it was very good pricing, because we were we were kind of tight on it and we wanted to just experience, you know, flipping it. So, and you wanted to experience adult daycare. Yeah. So yeah, you hit it right in the nose. So yeah, that's why I was saying, you know, if the numbers are really good and you, you have a huge spread, then go for it, do the, the, the flip. But again, <laughs> no, have a contract with your contractor, have contingencies in place and be very specific on what you want and just have one chief, <laughs> just have one person talking to the contractor. That's so good. Mm-hmm. People don't realize how big of a job rehabbing is. The TV shows make it look so easy. There are so many things that could go wrong. You've got way more money on the line. You've got way more risk, liability. I mean, you have to be worried about letting them drink on the job. Even when the job's done, you have liability if they're sitting on your property drinking and then they were to leave or have an accident with some of the tools there or you know, get in an accident while they're driving away and you know they, they could find out that they were drinking on your job site on your house and you let them do it or um, worse yet, your company bought their beer for them or something like that. So yikes. Sometimes, you know... They say it's better to make a fast nickel than a slow dime. You know, that is so true. That is so true. And I keep saying to myself, it's the same thing with, you know, when I get an offer from somebody and I, uh, and my husband says that, you know, a bird in a hand is worth more than two in the bush. So I keep saying, okay, let's just, you know, if for sure we have an offer. Let's, you know, go for that one and not just for maybe and hold off and so forth. 
So, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if it's always better to make a quick nickel than a slow dime. I think it depends. I know some guys that do really, really well making slow dimes, but man, there's so many things that can go wrong during that time you're making the slow dime. And here's the other thing I want you guys to think about. And Esther, I know you would probably agree with this. That same three, four months that you rehab that house, you could have wholesaled 12, 10, 12 deals during that time with that time that you were spending on that deal, you could have wholesaled more deals and made a lot more money during that time as well. So this is why I'm such a big fan of fast cash strategies, wholesaling strategies, because there's so much less that can go wrong. And the, and the cool thing is, if you would have bought this deal, you wouldn't have bought it if you wouldn't have been able to wholesale it, right? Right. That's true. And, then, and not only that is the stress that, that I, when I realized when I was doing the flip, the stress involved in that, I mean, oh my gosh, I was like, I don't know how these flippers do it all the time. The, I, I couldn't handle all that stress. So I don't want, I mean, if I do it, I would have to, again, hire somebody else to take care of that. And I just don't want to deal with that um, headache and stress. I mean, wholesaling is fun for me. It's fun. It's quick. You go on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about a second deal that you had. This was a probate and there were seven siblings involved. Yeah. It was a mail out. You know, we were doing postcards and they called me up saying, and it was a mail out to absentee owners. So they responded back and I spoke to them and we created one particular person. I was talking to her and she was like, yeah, we want to sell it. And, you know, it's all of us. It's, you know, it belonged to our parents. It's now empty. Nobody even lives there or in that city. They're all in different cities. So it's like, okay. She gave me permission to go to see the house. I saw the house. It's been sitting there for like 15 years. And she goes, okay, well, you know, there's seven of us. You know, we all have to agree. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. So we found out that I started talking to all the other individuals. We, we basically decided to do a Skype call. And so we had everybody there with their involved. And so everybody was saying yes, except for one person. She would not appear on Skype. She didn't want to be a part of Skype. So we were talking to her and, and over the phone and trying to convince her to get on it so we can all be in the same. She was like, she refused. So either way, and that day on the Skype call, everybody, all the six siblings decided, yes, let's do it. Let's sell it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to send you all guys a, an agreement. Since, you know, somebody passed away, we, you know, did you guys go to probate? Like, no. So, okay, we're going to have to do an affidavit of airship. So basically the title company is going to send you guys affidavit of airships. So we sent that out to the title company, yet we still needed that one other phone, the other uh, signature. We finally got a hold of her again and I spoke to her and she basically said, you know, I'm going through bankruptcy, yada, yada, yada. And basically she was saying, I, I, I don't think I should be just receiving, because they were going to be receiving like $5,000. And I don't think I should be receiving just five thousand. I'm having really bad hardships. So I think I should be getting $10,000. So the only way that we're going to do it is if we did it this way. So it was me and, you know, because it was, uh, I had a joint venture with somebody else uh, for this particular property. And uh, they were saying, no, um, she's being greedy. And she didn't want the other siblings to know about that. She wanted the extra $5,000. No, really, she didn't want anybody else to know. That's the reason why she didn't want to go on Skype. She was like, I, you know, everybody is fine. They're well off, but I'm having hardships and I want to be able to, I deserve to have $5,000 more. And I was like, 
screw that. You don't need that. I was like, I'm going to tell everybody else. And then I said, plus, you know, if you wanted $5,000 more, it's going to show on the HUD that you're getting $5,000 more. And she goes, no, no. Well, I would only sign if you, if you and I have a contract saying that you give me $5,000 at the end of the assignment, you know, the end of the closing. I'm like, I guess my pride or whatever. And I was like, no, screw it. You're not going to have that. No. And, and if I, you know, I like try to be honest and transparent with everybody. And, and if I give you $5,000, it's going to come back somehow or other, you know, it's going to come back. Somebody's going to know about it. And so I let it go, but it was a back and forth thing for like three months yeah. uh, and, you know, saying that she would do it. At first she was saying, yes, she would do it with a thousand dollars more. And I'm like, you know, talking to my partner, like, okay, it's a thousand dollars. We'll get this deal done. You know, you know, after closing, we'll just give her a thousand dollars just to have her signature basically. And she was like, so we agreed on that. And then like two weeks later, the girl came back and said, that's when she came back and said, no, 5,000. And we were like, no, she keeps changing and changing and changing. So that's when we let it go. And it was, it was going to be a good spread because we're going to make all, uh, uh, both of us, we were going to make 20,000 each. So, and our buyer was like, you know, I want this property. I want, cause he was going to make it into a duplex because it was huge. And so yeah. he was going to make it. So we were, and he was fine with our $40,000 assignment. He was fine with that. Wow. But this, I was like, maybe I should have just let it go. But the fact that she was so money hungry like that, I was like, didn't want to deal with it. And it just went, everybody didn't, uh, I, I told everybody, uh, I said, you know, basically she wanted more money. And that just created everybody screaming at each other and screaming at this particular person. And I was like, you know, I like to be, again, transparent with everybody. I don't want any any hiding because it's all going to come back. And that's what happened with that seven probate. So the deal fell apart. It fell apart. It fell apart. So she would not sign it at all. How long ago was this? That was two years ago. Do you know if they ever sold it or where, what's going on? No. with you? Because I went like maybe a year ago just to pass by that house and it's still vacant. Nothing's happening. And then just for the hell of it, I sent a message to one of the person that called me up and I said, how are you doing? I'm just calling to see how you're doing to see if everything is okay. And uh, she goes, no, everything was good, but we haven't sold the house. She okay. still refuses. To, she wants now everybody in her family to give her a thousand dollars each so we left it at that that's happened that's what happened with that probate it's good for you though that you're willing to walk away from that looking back though that was a big you could have made gross forty thousand dollars assignment fee on that deal some people are saying well just give her the five thousand dollars what's the big deal do you still stand by your decision to, to walk away from the deal because of that yeah i do even though it's money on the table it's money there but I feel like something's going to come back, whether it's not on this particular deal, but karma, you know, it's just going to come back somehow. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't believe that you should be sneaky that way because it's going to come back. Like I said, I don't, I, yes, I, maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's my pride or maybe my values. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too prideful, but I just, I decided at that moment, it's just, you know, let it go. I just being greedy that way. And yeah. like, that's my opinion. This was a cash deal, so you don't have to worry as much about paying people outside of closing on a cash deal because a bank's not involved. But still, there's an element of you have to be have full disclosure, and you can't be hiding things from other people in the transaction to a certain extent, right? Like, uh -huh. yeah, 
Interesting. So the deal, you, are you still following up though? Do you still plan on? Yeah, actually that one's still every six months. Maybe I should do it sooner than that, but every six months I'll go ahead and send her a message just to see how she was doing, just checking up on her. I know her her son's name. I know, you know, what they do for a living and I, and I know that they have some little issues. So I kind of, hey, did you get that resolved? And like, yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, so we keep that little conversation report going on. So she's very, uh, so we're all in good terms, very, very good terms. It's just this lady decides not to do it. So, but I do have another deal that I just remembered. It was a commercial deal. It was, uh, it was my very first commercial deal. And this guy called me up again from absentee owner, mailers. And uh, this guy said, uh, he's got a plaza. It's a mechanic. It's got a, uh, a place where they cut tiles and it's got a strip joint. So, you know, it's a place where they strip, a girl strips in the nighttime. So he was like, I wanted, you know, 300 something thousand. And, and we were like, you know, I got to find out what the, um, you know, the rents are coming in and, and so forth. So I, you know, I remember, and he was very, very adamant that he wanted to sell it and so forth. And I told him, look, it's going to be like 201 is what I can offer you. And he said, after a day or two that I was speaking to him, he called me back and goes, okay, we'll take it. So I went ahead and got it under contract. I started giving it out to different investors and this seller every single day, I've never had a seller this way, calling me saying, Hey, did you get a buyer for it? Did you get a buyer for it? I really need to sell. And I was like, okay, you know, not yet. It's still in negotiations. We're still looking at it. A lot of people don't like the fact that it's a a place that has people are stripping. They they really don't like that. So anyways, every day was constantly doing that. And and I was getting a little irritated that he was calling me so many days, you know, every single day like that. So uh, finally, you know, I got a buyer that was basically saying, you know, you know, I can't do the, he was saying, basically we're in negotiations and he was saying like maybe 230 or 220 or something like that. So I would have been like making maybe $10,000 assignment fee. And so the seller figured out that I was putting it on the marketplace, you know, looking at uh, talking to other investors. Apparently he was doing the same thing. And he saw, I saw how much you were putting it out there. And I said, you're being greedy. How, why are you putting it out there? Like, oh, this is all about negotiation. Nobody's going to be paying what you're asking for. It's always, you know, give and take. And so he basically said um, that I was being greedy and, you know, not doing things right. And I was like, uh, what is, what is that? You said you wanted 201. That's exactly what you're getting. So I don't know where you're coming from. And the fact that it's got a strip joint there, a lot of people don't like that ethically. So anyways, I, I let that one go again because that one was being money hungry. He was saying, again, you wanted to change the contract to the, the price that I was putting it out there. And I let that one go because again, he was just, I've never had a seller like I said that was desperate and you can and that's something that a lot of people when you start doing this you start hearing okay it's a motivated seller but it's a motivated seller for money that's desperate for money and that's not good that's interesting <laughs> yeah so you've got to be super careful yeah and be yeah. willing to let it go mm-hmm. and that's when I realized for that particular deal I had to let that go because that seller was money hungry not just you know he's motivated to sell but he was money hungry. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't like dealing with people like that. You know, one time I was advertising a rent to own home for a tenant buyer. 
And I found a really good tenant buyer and she passed all of the uh, pre-screening background checks and stuff that I did. I met her and her brother at a Panera or something like that. Turns out she was a stripper. You would have never known by meeting her, but her brother told me this is how she makes her money. And I didn't give it to them. It didn't work out, but I there's uh, there's also something maybe with a with a business that is doing that kind of thing that that may not be worth getting involved with. You know, just again, I don't want to call it, I don't like the word karma, but something like that kind of can come back at you in a bad way. Maybe I'm wrong, you know? So I'm looking at some of the comments. Kenny says, here, you did the right thing. She's a greedy pig (laughs) talking about the the probate deal. Probate, yeah. Mm -hmm. But Millie says, I would have given her the extra 5K to close the deal. But you got to remember, would that have been right for the other members of the family without them knowing that? And Ronald also says the same thing. So this is a judgment call, right? (laughs) But I think you might be able to sleep better knowing that it would have been fine to give her the extra five grand, but the rest of the family had to know. Yeah. They should have known. And yeah. if they were okay with it, then yeah, maybe that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, she had kids, you know, the one that wanted the $5,000 more had kids. And you know, the fact that you get the extra 5,000, the kids are going to know that there's extra money. So I, I would assume. And so I was like, it's somehow or other, it's going to come back to the other brothers and sisters that she got more money. So I was like, mm, no, I don't want to deal with that <laughs> just in case. Good. All right. So uh, let's talk about lessons learned real quick. I've written down some things. Don't ever stop your marketing. Always get leads. Uh, When you're working this rehab deal you talked about at the beginning, you kind of stopped your marketing and that is the kiss of death in any real estate business, isn't it? If you stop your marketing, you're not getting new leads. You may close that deal, make some money, but you turn around and your pipeline's empty. Uh And you can't, it's not like a switch that you can just turn on and leads start pouring in again. It takes a while to build that momentum, doesn't it? Getting those leads coming back in. I like that saying that you're saying you want marketing done despite yourself. Yeah, marketing done for you in spite of you. In spite of you, yeah. Cool. Oh, and somebody else here had a real good comment. Kenny said, I feel like if you had agreed to five grand, then it would have been 7,500. Yeah. You know, you if you keep on agreeing, giving what she wants, she would have wanted more. Probably yeah. right. I, I totally agree. Yeah, that's what I, that was my gut feeling because when she went from 1,000 to, uh, she was leading to 4,000, but then all of a sudden she went five. And I was like, no, nah, I think she's going to end up going back more. Yeah, I agree. Another lesson learned, you, you when you're doing rehab, you need to have one point person for the contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to have a written scope of work. Everything needs to be in writing. Yeah. To the detail, to the, you know, what's, but to the gnats, you know what? Okay. <laughs> uh, be careful with scope creep. You know, scope creep is, you know, like where the scope keeps on creeping up and up. And if you don't have one point person responsible for communicating with that contractor, it's easy for somebody else to come in and say, yeah, it's not a big deal. Just add this or change this, but that affects the budget. You've got to be on top of that. Mm-hmm. Don't let your contractors drink on the job on your property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big deal. Mm-hmm. You've got to have contingencies for every little detail in your work in your contract. Uh, I liked what you said about having liquidated damages if they finish late. So penalties if they finish the job late, and maybe even rewards if they finish early. Mm-hmm. I've negotiated that with contractors before, where I said, "Listen, we're going to do. If you can't finish by this time, there's a penalty involved." And then they would say, "Well, if I finish it early, can we have a reward?" And I said, "Yeah, it's only fair." Mm-hmm. But having that in writing is so important. And you also said something there: don't pay contractors until they get all the work done. That sounds simple, but so many people forget that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You also talked about you had a realtor help you and you said um, negotiate with the realtors for what happens if you bring the buyer. If you bring the buyer and that some of you may think, oh, you can't negotiate that. Um, but yeah, you can. 
if you bring the buyer, you can negotiate with that agent what they actually will get. Cool? Yeah. Cool. Always better to make a quick nickel than a slow dime. That's right. Maybe not always for not everybody, because that's a, what do they call that? A, a Some kind of a blanket statement. But I like that rule. It'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Be willing to let go of some of your deals, especially when the seller is money hungry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes with your gut feeling. And if you have a... I mean, and people, like I said, they forget that, you know, you're looking for motivated sellers. Okay, great. You've got one. But I mean, is it really motivated to what's the the deciding factor? Is it because of the money that they're going to receive or or is it because they're they're getting rid of some emotional thing or when you get a, a seller that's money hungry, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's that this desperation to get that money. And it's just, oh, God, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right, Esther, any other things that you would want to say? What kind of wrapping this up? What would be some of your biggest lessons learned from this? What would you tell people who are beginning or getting into real estate investing into wholesaling? Well, just always have a plan. I mean, at any time you're getting into any business venture, you you need to have a plan. You need to have goals and keep reanalyzing, you know, as time passes by, like, you know, what I've, I've done coaching with Gavin with your partner and, and yourself. Uh, you know, keep looking at what you've done, evaluate it and adjust if you need to, but definitely have a goal and a plan of where you want to go. Because if not, you're just letting life lead you wherever. Mm, That's really good. Mm -hmm. Always have a plan, have goals. Kind of starts, would you say, having that plan, the consequence of that is having a marketing plan, which drives it back to that first thing we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Have a marketing plan so you know if your goal is to make 20 grand a month in wholesaling, you know how much marketing you need to do every single day to get it done for you in spite of you so that it just gets done. Correct. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. If you don't have that your shit. <laughs> you have nothing. Well, good. Esther, I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Joe. Uh, what market are you in, Esther? Tell everybody where you're at. I'm in El Paso, Texas. El Paso, El Paso Texas. Texas. Yeah. And I always tell, I always have this shirt when I met Gavin in March. No, I don't know if you can see it. I always have this shirt that says Esther Buys Houses, my website and my phone number. And in the back of it, you always see I don't know if you can see Esther buys houses, any condition, phone number. Yeah. Yeah. I always have this on. And so, yeah, that's my market, El Paso, Texas. And I always get leads. And when I'm walking, doing grocery shopping, even wow. taking gas or whatever, I forget that I even have it on. It's just a shirt to me. Nice. And, and so you can meet me, you can see me on Facebook or YouTube, Esther buys houses without the H. Okay. So yeah. go to Facebook or YouTube, Esther buys houses. And cool. People may have a deal in El Paso or in the surrounding areas and you want to partner with Esther on it, or you might have a lead. That's a great way to, I tell this to beginners all the time, find somebody like Esther who's already doing deals in your market, who's doing what you want to do. And don't just contact her and say, Hey, can I pick your brain? Can I take you out to lunch? Can I take you to breakfast? Can I have coffee and just pick your brain and ask you a few questions? Don't ever do that. That's the stupidest, dumbest thing ever, right? If you're listening to this and you're in El Paso or you're somewhere else and you know of an Esther in your city, go approach them and say, hey, Esther, how can I help you grow your business? How can I help you make more money? How can What kind of deals are you looking for? Can I go out and find these deals for you? That is going to be the best way to get Esther, to learn from people like Esther on how to do deals. What's going on in the market? What are the good title companies? Esther talked about she has a good relationship with the title company. Do you think if somebody just calls you Esther and says, hey, what's your title company? You don't know who they are. Are you going to tell them? Maybe you will because you're nice, but like... (laughs) 
like, you won't. <laughs> you wouldn't, really, be, wouldn't you rather like help somebody who puts in some kind of effort to go find you some leads, find you some deals, and maybe even says, Esther, hey, you've got a bunch of old leads. Could you give them to me and I'll call them for you? I'll just cold call your old leads and we'll split the deal or something like that. Wouldn't you be more open or receptive to help somebody like that? Of course. Absolutely. Cool. All right, Esther, this has been really good. Thank you, Joe. Oh, yeah. Someone here says, Millie, I agree. Offer a JV. Nice. Yeah, Millie. So, guys, check out Esther. Esther buys houses at Facebook or YouTube. Or go to estherbuyshouses.com. And you spell your name E-S-T-E-R. There's no H. E-S-T-E-R. Cool. Esther, sure appreciate it. And I would be, it would be remiss for me to say, if you want to work with me and Gavin, Gavin is one of the best real estate coaches in the business. I've been working with Gavin for five years now. We coach our clients closely together. Uh, If you want more information though, go to coachjoe.net. That's an old website, but it still forwards to the new one. I think we have the new one is uh, REI Network. Here it goes. This is maybe a better one reinetwork.com slash coaching. Get some more information and check out what we did to help Esther. So Esther, thanks again for being on the show. Appreciate it so much. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye.